Welcome back for episode 39 in our study of the book of Revelation. This episode is called Priest and Priestesses of Christ. I'm Sam Bracken, your host. Our teacher is Dr. Breck Englund, who is teaching us about the book of Revelation by relating it to the Latter-day Saint Temple experience. We're now into chapter 20. Jesus returns to the earth, and there is something called the first resurrection. Verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. So what will these priests do for a thousand years? They'll um, teach, and they will perform saving ordinances for the billions of people who are living then or who have ever lived and are now resurrected and have never heard the gospel or had a chance to refuse it or accept it. You know, for centuries, Christian thinkers have puzzled over what happens to these people in the end. Most of them have come to the conclusion that those unfortunate souls are lost. St. Augustine had to struggle with this question. He was, uh, he was a foremost theologian in the 5th century. He could not escape the conclusion that um, they were lost. And this is what he wrote, quote, Even the infants, not personally in their own lives, but according to the common origin of the human race, have all broken God's covenant. In that one, Adam, in whom all have sinned, unquote. Therefore they deserve eternal punishment, he said. Uh, he said they would be damned, but very lightly. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, lightly damned. Yeah, so a baby who was born but not baptized, uh, unfortunately that child would be damned for eternity, but in a very light sort of soft damnation. This is the notion of a little bit of damnation. Purgatory, maybe. Purgatory no, is... no. Purgatory, the idea of purgatory was that this is where souls go who have been baptized, but have sinned okay. and not repented or not okay. confessed. The meaning of purgatory is to be purged, oh, okay. Okay. to be purged of sin. Okay. So they have to go there and get burned, get their sins burned out of them, okay. essentially. That sounds exciting. Um, <laughs> Uh, Painful, actually. Yeah. Um, Hamlet, uh, Shakespeare, mm -hmm. Hamlet's father, the ghost, comes back to talk to his son, and he says, um, I was murdered, and I didn't have a chance to confess my sins. So here I am, and I am in purgatory, and the ghost says, I am condemned to fast in fires Ooh. until my sins are burnt and purged away. So that's what purgatory was. But purgatory is not the same thing. Because eventually you get out of purgatory. After, after you've you know suffered enough, so it's sort of like a like intermittent burning. For yeah, a while it's and it's then a good. it's a temporary burning until all your sins are burned out. Okay, and then um, but but the people who have never been baptized, Saint Augustine said, even the infants mm -hmm. would go to hell and they would never get out. Oh wow! But it would be a very nice hell. It would nice be, hell. It would be a com more comfortable part of hell. Okay. Yeah, okay. I guess there's layers of hell according to Dante. You know, uh, yeah, that's seven, right. Seven, that's seven, right. Seven yeah, layers. seven layers, uh, uh, or nine circles. I think you said okay. nine circles of hell. And the, bunch, the, bunch of layers, bunch yeah, of the, circles. The, lo the lowest circle is where the Satan is, and he has two 
people, two, yeah. two kinds of people with him. Yeah. I know he has uh, Judas Iscariot. Yes, and Brutus, who killed Caesar. And then he's got a community of people that are down there with him. And the so digress. they deserve eternal punishment, yeah. uh, these people. Infants, people, you know, people who grew up without any knowledge of Christ, and they will be damned for eternity. But it will be a soft damnation. That doesn't seem fair to me at all. There's a uh, very, very prominent evangelical preacher named Robert Jeffress. As a matter of fact, he's said to be the most influential um, evangelical preacher in America today. He's uh, the pastor of a church in Dallas, which is said to be the largest church in Texas, I believe. He's, he asked the question in, his, in a book he wrote. He said, is it right to send a 10-year-old African girl to hell just because she has never heard of Jesus Christ? And his answer is, yes, because every human creature, this is a quotation, every human creature has been declared guilty, has been sentenced to eternal death, and is simply awaiting final execution in the lake of fire, unquote. So that's what he believes. Wow. Okay. Now, Jeffress and his theological allies, they, they condemn everyone, uh, even children who die without confessing belief in their particular form of Christianity. He goes on to say in his book, God sends good people to hell. Religions like Mormonism, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism lead people to an eternity of separation from God in hell. Jeffress denounces Islam as evil and Jews as unsaved and Catholicism as satanic. And in particular, he doesn't like the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which he says is a, quote, a heresy straight from the pit of hell, unquote. Wow. He doesn't, he's not familiar with that scripture that says, by their works, you shall know that. He's, uh, he doesn't think much of us. So unless you believe exactly what Jeffress believes, you go to hell? Yeah, such a nice guy. This kind of reasoning turns off a lot of very thoughtful people, including me, right? Mm -hmm. um, the philosopher Bertrand Russell found it, quote, a very serious defect in traditional Christian teaching. He said, I, I do not quote, this is a quote from Bertrand Russell, I do not myself feel that any person who is really humane can believe in such a thing. Now, by contrast, let's hear what the Prophet Joseph Smith said. He taught that while all the religions are damning each other to hell, right, God, quote, looks upon the whole human family with a fatherly care and paternal regard and will judge his children according to their several deserts their means of obtaining intelligence, the laws by which they are governed, the facilities afforded them of obtaining correct information, and his inscrutable designs in relation to the human family, unquote. So that's how a father treats his children. Right, right. Well, how could it be any other way? Uh, what, what joy could there be in the heaven of Robert Jeffress. If you know that billions upon billions of people are burning in torment for eternity just because they didn't happen to believe the way you do. I never had a chance to. Right, right. You know, Jacques Ellul says this, quote, how could the new creation, that admirable symphony of love, exist beside a world like that? 
there was a French novelist named Roman Gary who wrote a, a book. Uh, uh, title doesn't matter, but he was he he was writing about the concentration camps during World War II, where the Nazis uh, exterminated millions, tortured and exterminated millions of people. But funny, awful things about those concentration camps was that right next to them, the German guards and the uh, or the Nazi officials lived in pretty little villages that they built for themselves with little streets and flowers and little picket fences and houses and raised their families there right next to the camps. It's unbelievable when you think about it. Uh, they, they lived very nice lives next to these, these, uh, these atrocious places. And this is what Roman Garry says. It is not the concentration camp, but the very peaceable, very happy little village beside the camp that makes him sick. He says, this is where people were undisturbed while millions died atrociously right across the street in the camp. That is how Robert Jeffress sees heaven and hell. Right, I see what you're saying. I'm seeing how you're linking them, too. So the little African girl won't be going to hell after all, is what I'm hearing. Well, is anything clearer yeah. in the Scripture than the Savior's concern for little children? It's pretty clear. And for the poor and the unfortunate of this world, who, particularly those who grow up in ignorance and without any you know, resources. In Matthew, Jesus talks about a certain king who invites guests to his son's wedding. And of course, this is a parable of God, the Father, inviting all people to, to be with Jesus. And uh, Jesus says, but Jesus says that those people, are, the invited guests are too preoccupied with business, okay, to come to the banquet. So the king replaces them at the banquet with, quote, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame off the streets. Okay, that's Matthew, uh, and, and I think that's in Luke 14, 21. I remember the parable. I yeah. remember it. Mm -hmm. Well, this is my opinion. I think guys like Robert Jeffress are going to be awfully surprised to see who goes into heaven ahead of them. Yeah, yeah. But, but they will have to learn the gospel, won't they? Well, yes, and, the, and that's where the priests and priestesses of the millennium come in. Uh, they'll, they'll be teaching and performing saving ordinances for those people who could not do it for themselves. Uh, that's, that's the definition of saving people, right? Joseph Smith said that the priests and priestesses will be uh, saviors on Mount Zion. That's the term he used. Mm -hmm. what, what does that mean, saviors on Mount Zion? That's from the Old Testament book of Obadiah, a prophet who prophesies, quote, uh, saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Explain what is the Mount of Esau. Well, Esau was the brother of the patriarch Jacob, who was also known as Israel. So all the descendants of Jacob are covenant people. Esau rejected his birthright to be the, the father of the covenant people because he was the older son. Esau symbolizes all those people who never had a chance to hear the gospel and come into the covenant. And that's why they need saviors to come over from Mount Zion to save them. So back to Joseph Smith. He said, 
that the resurrected saints will be, quote, saviors on Mount Zion. But how are they to become saviors on Mount Zion? By building their temples, erecting their baptismal fonts, and going forth and receiving all the ordinances in behalf of all our progenitors who are dead, close quote. So, the priests and priestesses during the millennium become saviors on Mount Zion to teach and administer ordinances to the people of Mount Esau. That is, those who are not yet under the covenant. Okay, okay that That's from sense. Obadiah uh, chapter 1, verse 21. That makes sense. In the, in the temple, the saints rescue the rest of the dead who live not again until the thousand years are finished according to uh, Revelation 20, verse 5. So um, it will be a work characterized by love and reconciliation instead of the, the hateful um, send them all to hell, fire and brimstone future that guys like Robert Jeffress anticipates. Of course, the dead must understand and accept the gospel, Right? There's a passage in Doctrine and Covenants 45. Um, then shall the heathen nations be redeemed, and they that knew no law shall have part in the first resurrection, and it shall be tolerable for them, unquote. Now, traditional Christianity, originally the church had this doctrine. Remember that in First Peter it clearly says that Christ went to the world of the dead and taught them preached yeah. to them. They didn't believe in the resurrection, but they did baptisms for the dead, right? Right. And then the, the famous scripture, else what should they do for you? Yeah. Know, why, why are you uh, baptizing for the dead if, if you don't believe in the resurrection? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a different yeah. scripture, but... It's First uh, Corinthians 15. Right. Yeah. So, um, the modern scholars, modern theologians, uh, they read these passages in First Peter and like Second and First Corinthians where it clearly says that Christ taught the gospel to the dead, to the spirits of the mm -hmm. dead, or the spirits in prison, it says. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're baffled by it. They don't know what to make of it. They have no insight into why that would take place. Mm -hmm. With the Restoration, Joseph Smith said, all this, all this hopelessness um, evaporates. Joseph Smith said, in, in the light of this, quote, most glorious of all subjects belonging to the everlasting gospel, which is salvation for the dead. Now that's, that's really fun for me to think that this is the most glorious of all subjects because it is a huge, massive extension of mercy to the children of God who never had a chance. Yeah, it's, I mean, it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. Yeah. And Jeffress, on the other hand, would kick them all into the into the fire in the pit, yeah. and to me that's just that's just a horrible doctrine. So modern revelation doctrine covenants one thirty eight tells us that the Lord organized his forces from among the righteous, and that the elders, or the priests, would teach the gospel to the spirits in the world of the dead. What about the priestesses? Where do they fit in? Well, they do the same thing. They join the join the elders who are priests. Did you know that an elder and a priest, uh, etymologically, they're the same thing? Um, oh, I didn't know that. Uh, the word priest is an English word that descends from a Greek word, presbyteros, which, which uh, meant old man. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, which, 
means elder, right? Which mm -hmm. is also an English word that means older person, right? So, so an elder and a priest were originally, um, the terminology was... Very similar? Well, synonymous. Actually. Oh, got it. Okay. Got so, it. so joining the priests or elders in this work will be, and it says in 138, our glorious Mother Eve with her faithful daughters who had lived through the ages and worshipped the true and living God. Uh, these will be the priestesses who teach and carry out ordinances just like the elders do. Okay. So priestesses, okay, they teach and they perform priesthood ordinances just like they do in the temples today, actually. Mm -hmm. So this is the work that will be done by priests and priestesses during the millennium. Of course, it's already started because we're, we're doing huge amounts of work in the temples now, and more and more temples are built all the time. And the righteous will be, quote, priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Revelation 20 tells us that. But then in chapter 20, verse 7, it says this. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Why would the Lord let Satan loose again? And that is the topic for our next podcast. But before we quit today, we've had several listeners ask us about some of the books we've been citing. So I thought... I'd give out a few titles if mm. people are interested. Okay. Yeah. We've been quoting mostly from church authorities, but um, we've also relied a lot on the writings of scholars and academics who, who have done heavy amounts of work in the history surrounding the book of Revelation. And some of them are LDS and some are not. Okay, The non-LDS scholars we've quoted are all really respected in the field. I've tried not to quote any cranks or crackpots. They're all people who are serious and have done serious um, research, serious work. So if listeners want to look at some of these books, here are a few titles, okay? I particularly recommend Margaret Barker's books, one called The Revelation of Jesus Christ, a big book. And the other one is uh, The Great High Priest. It's another big book, okay? She's She's a professor in Scotland who's done more, I think, to show us the real history behind the book of Revelation than anybody else. So I really recommend her books. And we've quoted a lot from a man named Jacques Ellul. He's a French philosopher and theologian from the University of Bordeaux. He's a Protestant, but he's written a lot on the book of Revelation, and his book is called simply The Apocalypse. It's available in English, and I really recommend it. Uh, we've also talked a lot about astronomy, right? About the stars and the and uh, jo um, John's use of um, constellations and the zodiac and so forth. So for the astronomy of John's time, we have relied on um, Professor Bruce Molina, M-A-L-I-N-A, -A, whose book is called On the Genre and Message of Revelation. It shows how John used the constellations as symbols in Revelation. Also, we depend a lot on a book... Uh, titled Postmodern Revelation by a Canadian scholar named Dr. Jacques Chevalier, C-H-E-V-A-L-I-E-R. Fascinating study. Uh, so these are just a few key books. We've studied many, many books and articles, so we can be sure we're getting the best information from both scholarly 
sources and from inspired church leaders, which, of course, we put first. They have priority. So if you, listeners, have any questions about our sources or anything else, um, let us know. And, uh, so ne- next week we'll go on to find out why the Lord lets Satan out of his jail for a season. Season, yeah. Well, didn't the prophet Joseph Smith encourage us to read from the best books? He did. Not just our own yeah. books, right? Best books are ones that are serious, carefully researched, um, written by people who are honest and have a lot of integrity and are not full of crap. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. All right. Thanks, Thanks for your time. That's it.